Hello, everybody. Welcome to Health Hackers, episode 11. I'm Gemma Evans. I'm a journalist here in the UK, and this is my series devoted to interviewing the most pioneering figures in health and wellness. And my guest today is the great-great-grandson of famous naturalist Charles Darwin, all the way in Sydney. It's Chris Darwin. Hello, Chris. Gemma, hi there. Hi, everybody. <laughs> we are going to be talking to Chris about meat because today marks the start of World Meat Free Week, which Chris is heavily involved with. But I also want to talk to Chris about his extraordinary life achievements, including holding the world's highest dinner party. Spoiler alert, some of the guests ended up with hypothermia. So stay with us for that, because I want to hear all about that. First though, Chris, let's talk about meat. Now, the first thing I was wondering is what made you become a vegetarian? What made you quit meat to begin with? Oh, well, as you can see, I've got Chip on my shoulder here for, for the audience who haven't been introduced to him. So, so I'm, I'm involved in nature conservation. I should just and say for the podcast listeners that Chris, if for anyone who's not watching the video, Chris is sitting with, is that a kangaroo on your shoulder? Kangaroo with a little joey in, 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 in the pouch. That's his chip on his shoulder. Sorry, Chris. But yeah, you were saying why you gave up meat. And, and for the podcasters, it's not a real one. It's uh, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> we should make that clarification. I'm so sorry. It was it's not a real kangaroo. It's a it's a it's a fairy toy. <laughs> so uh, so yes. Yeah, so I've, for the last 25 years, I've been involved in nature conservation, and um, and and uh, we we worked out pretty quickly that if we were going to really make some uh, some progress for nature conservation globally, we needed to stop the destruction of forests, the world's forests, and and uh, you know 74 percent around of the world's forests are. Um, for, for meat um, and so I to start off with Gemma I started trying to convince people someone else will answer that I hope um, let me just do that wait a second there we are um, to start off with we uh, we uh, tried to say you know this is fantastic Let, let's let's stop let's let's reduce our meat consumption for the for the benefit of the world's forests and we got pretty much Gemma zero response so then we did some market research and we discovered well why do people give up meat what makes people give up meat and we very quickly discovered two things that make you give up meat, which is uh, health, improved health, and animal welfare. So we basically, although I keep chip on my shoulder here just to keep me reminding, remind me why I'm doing this. So we've had to really transfer across to, to really health. And, uh, and of course, it's made a huge difference because people, you, you, you say to somebody, stop coming out of the forest because of kangaroos and, and whatever it is. They, they sort of say that sounds really important. But if you actually say, you know, uh, processed red meats cause cancer, you really get their attention then. They, you've actually got them engaged. And, uh, and, and so, that, so we, we, we've transferred across. You know, you mentioned the, the cancer impact there. And that was something that uh, really affected me when I first heard about that. And it, it impacted how much red meat I ate. But doing this Health Hacker series, I've spoken to so many different guests on the show, all with very differing opinions. And I, I know that the other day I was interviewing Professor Tim Noakes, and, and he says that he's practically carnivorous in his eating. And I said, oh, what, what about the cancer risk? And then, well, he said, historically, people who eat meat also smoke more and they're less active. So you can't detect whether that was what caused the cancer. And, um, and he said that often if people give up meat, they could end up replacing it with carbohydrates, which 
isn't always a good thing in people. And, you know, then they opens up topics of insulin resistance, etc. I mean, what, what do you think of those sort of comments coming from professors? Absolutely. I think that, I mean, I'd be interested to see what Tim said, because I, I think that there are, there are, I look on it, there's good meats and there's bad meats. And this is World Health Organization. So I should imagine WHO, I should imagine Tim would probably be, would be supportive of this. I don't think anybody's saying having one organic free range steak every week, which has got no hormones in it, is, is anything other than good for you. I mean, I really don't, I've never come across anybody who said, you know, uh, uh, you know, 75 grams of, of steak once a week, organic, free range, hormone free. I don't think what we're talking about here is we're talking about the, the processed meats. So we're talking about the burgers, the salamis, the, the bacons. Um, they're the ones that the World Health Organization and, and, and also just to get into, I mean, I don't want to sort of, you know, start pitting different medical figures against different medical figures because I didn't see, I didn't hear what Tim said. But the, the Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine, which is a group of physicians from America who have got, got together, and, and they put together their, which I'm very happy to send through to your, to your, your potties, uh, you know, just talking about um, what processed red meats do to you. And, and they, for example, they are supposed to increase cancer, your chance of cancer by 21% of the, of the intestine. So that's 21%. That's not red meat. That's that's the processed meats. So we're talking turkey. about kind of we're we talking about sausages and bacon and ham. Absolutely, it seems to be. And I'm not a I'm not a nutritionist, so I should say that. But it seems to be the process the processing of these these meats seems to be the thing that in, requires a lot of chemicals to be uh, to be added to them, and that's what seems to be causing the problem. So so I think I mean I'm I'm really the bandwagon I'm on, and 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 I'm not. I'm, I'm on this saying, try to avoid three, three types of meats. Processed red meats, so that's the, 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 the bacons, the burgers, the sausages. The, the second one to avoid is the, is the dairy, large amounts of dairy. We're not really designed to eat baby cow's milk, um, particularly the guys. Uh, again, if you have two glasses of milk a day, this is from the Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine, two glasses of milk a day, for the guys, your chance of prostate cancer increases by 20% if you do that. And that's a big jump. Um, and the third thing to avoid, and I've actually had personal experience with, with my kids because they used to, my little Monty used to eat a lot of tuna and he used to have tuna in his sandwich and you can probably see where this is going, Gemma. Uh, yeah, he got mercury. Yeah. yeah. We started to notice he was the youngest of the three and, um, and we started to notice that his memory wasn't as good as the others. And, and, you know, over the years, as he's growing up, you just wait, wait, his, his memory, he can't remember names. And we had him tested and he was really high on mercury. Wow. Um, so so the, that, what, what do you learn from that? that? That's from the top predators of the sea. So that's tuna, marlin and shark. And they get a thing called bioaccumulation, which is where the small fish eat a little bit of this, but it gets caught up in their fat levels. The bigger fish eat the next one and you get a every single trophic level, the levels of mercury increase. So, I mean, actually most women know this. If you're pregnant, you don't eat tuna uh, because the mercury. So if you avoid those three things, you're pretty much set. And the idea is if you avoid those things, you'll probably find you get one meat-free day a week or, or maybe two. And then you will not only will you be much healthier, you'll save some money. It's great for the environment. You're going to live a bit longer because we, 
that study after study shows that if you have moderate amounts of meat, you live longer than if you are a big meat Western diet consumer. That, that's my understanding. But I'd be fascinated to hear what Tim says to that. Um, yeah. Yeah. Episode, episode 10, checking out episode the podcast 10. or the website, healthhackers.uk. Now, you were talking about going meat-free for a day and, and, and making our meat consumption moderate because you're not actually asking anybody to quit meat entirely, as you've explained. So this is what World Meat-Free Week is all about. Am I right? Exactly. It's saying just try it for one meal or one day. I mean, we've got some great stats of what happens if you give up meat for a day, um, if you give up meat for one day a week for a year, what you get. So you're going to live one day longer. You're going to save yourself about 35 pounds. You're going to raise two people out of chronic malnutrition. And that is a very little known fact how that works. And I'm happy to come back yeah. to that because that's yeah, really exactly. You're going to save three chickens, 54 fish, the same amount of greenhouse gases of driving from London to, to, to Birmingham. You're going to save the same amount of water as 300 baths, one tennis court of forest, and three tennis courts of marine reserve you're going to create. And that's if you just have one meat-free day uh, per week for a year. It's not a, not a big thing to, to ask, really, and, and you get all those benefits. You know? And none of those are really in question, except for probably the one about the chronic malnutrition. Yeah, now how, you know, you, how is giving up meat for a day a week helping save children from chronic malnutrition? Right. Yeah, yeah. So do you, do you, have you come across that? Because it's not, a lot of people I've don't. I've not come across that stat before, no. I'm glad that we can, we can, we can open something new. So, so the question is, why are there any people on the planet hungry? Do, do, do you, have you ever done any research into this? It's, it's, a, it's an extraordinary thing. Uh, sheer poverty? Lack well, of resources to grow around food? Yeah, you're absolutely right. So two things. So poverty was the first one, uh, and the second is availability. Actually, poverty is more than availability. So, in fact, the reason um, there are 800 million, but we're getting a bit off, off, off health hacking, aren't we? We are into our, into but this our whole... But it's fascinating. And my listeners, they, they love hearing all kinds of surrounding topics because it all impacts our health in the end. Yeah, yeah, well, that's true. And, and maybe there's a bit of a broader issue, the health of humanity. Yeah. You know, do we feel good about ourselves knowing that there are 800 million people on the planet living in chronic malnutrition? And that's, that's UN figures, 800 million. And here's another one. I know, have you got any kids? No. No, well, for those who've got kids, get a load of this. Every year, one point, sorry, 3.1 million children die of starvation. And that is one every five minutes. Oh. Now, I tell you what, you know, I'm sure I cared about kids before I had my own kids. But when you have your own kids, there's something really gets to you about that. I just go, every minute, another five children die of starvation. Now, there's more than enough food on the planet. So why are there five kids dying of starvation? Well, you, you pointed out, price is the first thing. So why is food so expensive? And that is a complicated one. It's, it's about the breadth of wealth on the planet. We all know that some areas of the planet are very wealthy and some are not. But there's another one. Uh, between about a third and a quarter of all grain on the planet is fed to what? Animals. Livestock, exactly. So what does that do to the price of, of, of grain on the planet? Uh, pushes it up. Pushes, pushes it, down, it up. Pushes it up. Pushes it up because of 
you know, supply and demand curves, the more demand there is for a product, and there is only a certain amount of agricultural land on the planet, so there is a sort of fixed supply, although it has been increasing a little bit, it doesn't actually increase that fast. So basically what we're doing, as we're feeding, more as the demand for meat goes up, and it's predicted to go up by about 75% by 2050, so 75% by 2050, because we're going to go up to probably you know, 9 billion people by then. And not only that, people are eating more and more meat. So as that goes up, we're going to get more and more. There's, there's only a certain amount of land on the planet. So that's going to push more livestock into factory farms to, to produce that demand. Therefore, more grains going to have to be fed to them. And what's that going to do? Well, what has that been doing? Because we don't even need to look forward. What that's effectively been doing is pushing the world price of meat up. Therefore, while the world, sorry, the world price of grain up. Right. So while have been getting uh, wealthier, the price of food has been increasing about a little bit, about the same price. So you go back to, to uh, 19, 1970, sorry, 1991, there were about 800 million people on the planet with chronic malnutrition. They, the UN thought we were going to get it down by about the two, about 2000s down to about 500 million, but it hasn't happened. And the reason is because the price of food keeps going up. So, so for me, I mean, why do you get out of bed in the morning and why do I work and I don't get paid for what I'm doing right now? Why do I do it? And, and one of the things is, is those, those five children every minute who are dying of starvation. I go, that is just appalling. And future generations will just be, just be appalled. And, and isn't it a wonderful thing that you actually can't feed them, but by having one meat free day a week, you are actually, you, you, you're making a difference. Because we're creating that? less of a demand for meat, which impacts the grain, which impacts the costs and the whole economy of that. Exactly. I see. I see. So what, what do you think is the worst thing that could happen? So if we all kept eating meat and nobody had a meat-free day per week, what do you think is the worst that can happen? What's the disaster scenario? Look, I mean, I think, I mean, I'm really excited that you've got a program called Health Hackers because I, I just think it's, I think that the, the health in the Western world is just one of these really bizarre things. We live in, in peace and we've lived in peace most of my life. I'm 57. I mean, I've never had to fight in a war. We've got all this beautiful food that is, that is available to us. We, we have enormous uh, uh, you know, facilities and resources. And yet so many of us are so unhealthy. And I really enjoyed listening to your two podcasts. I listened to the one on sugar. Uh, that was really fantastic. And then uh, Roger Frampton talking about movement. That was two good things. I mean, I think I knew a little bit about sugar, but I didn't know about movement as much. And he gave me some really lovely ideas. We can, we've got the full knowledge to be really healthy, but we choose not to be. Uh, and, and I think that that is what really worries me is that, is that, is that you know, it just seems sad that, that, that we can't be just healthier. Yeah, and in fact, I've got an upcoming podcast about motivation and, and why it is that we all know the right thing yep. to do. And actually, that is debatable because sometimes I think I know the right thing to do. And then I speak to differing health experts who have differing views. And then I wonder what I even knew to begin with. Um, but just, just going back to that kind of disaster scenario, what, what would be the worst outcome if, if we didn't stop or moderate our meat eating? I mean, What's the world going to look like? What, how, how damaging is it to the planet? So you're looking at the environmental stuff, are you? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it doesn't necessarily need to be on a, on a personal impact. But if we all 
because there's a reason you're doing this as you explained you know it's important to have one meat free day a week if possible just to you know play that part little and often and it all equates to a bigger message and a bigger picture but i wonder what's the alternative like what are we yeah, moving uh, away from what are we moving away what are we avoiding if we do yeah, this what's, exactly, exactly. Yeah, what's yeah. the worst that could happen do you think well, I, you, you know we live on a small moist lump of rock through the spinning spinning through the desert of space we've got nowhere else to go so when you look at the environmental message it's it's i mean i think the trouble is i feel your audience might be stifling a yawn because they've probably heard it all before and so but, but, you know, ultimately, we, we, we're looking at, we're actually, we're, we're damaging the life support systems of the planet. I mean, for me, it's just irrational. Um, we're, we're, I mean, I've, I've been working in nature conservation all these years, and, and I'm, you know, heavily motivated because, I'm, because we're basically causing a mass extinction of species on the planet. You know, that, that's what we're doing and because we're, on the land, we're cutting down the forests for, for agriculture, and in the oceans, we're overfishing. You know, those are the two factors. They're both producing our, our meat. Um, and, and so why do we need chip or some lizard somewhere? And the reason is, is complicated, but it's actually very simple, that we live in this beautifully orchestrated system on this planet run by a thing, you know, Mother Nature in inverted commas, but it's actually, all these animals are actually contributing to make our planet what it is. And we are designed for that. And, and so if we destroy it, which is what we're doing, we are undertaking an unsupervised experiment on a planetary scale, the outcome of which is completely unknown, but is unlikely to be impressive. And our future generations will just rub their heads wondering what we were thinking because we know what we're doing the question is Gemma is do we have the courage to face the realities of our day to feel them deeply enough so they transform us and our future mm. we might not have a choice at some point I, I wonder though if we have if we all stopped eating meat just imagine and wouldn't we have this imbalance and wouldn't if we had too many animals then wouldn't that lead to problems i don't know i'm thinking of rural communities farming communities there'll be unemployment and maybe we'd end up having to chop down forests because we need to make room to grow more crops because we'd all be eating plant-based foods i mean do you think there are you know arguments on the other side about why we should continue eating meat well okay let, so let, let's just look at, let's look at it let's just go Let's just say, um, I mean, I've got some great stats of what happens if every English person had one meat-free day per week for a year. So let me give you those, and, I can, and that'll give you your answer, really. Okay. So the, the population would live 300,000 years longer. We would save 2.3 billion pounds worth. There would be, an, we would save you know, half a million cows, 200 million chickens, 3 billion fish and prawns. We'd save an area of forest the size of every national park in England and Wales. We'd save the equivalent greenhouse gases of driving to the sun and back 64 times. And, and so it goes on. I mean, I suppose what, I'm not, I'm not quite answering your question. Your, answer, your question is what would be the impact on farmers really, isn't it? 
Well, uh, yeah, and is there, can there be such a thing as, you know, would there be too many animals? Is it, would that be disruptive well, to the, the food chain for us? So what would happen? I mean, if, if we basically, producing a vegetarian diet uses, uh, producing a vegan diet produces about a fifth of the land of, of producing a big meat diet. Therefore, you, you basically what, would, what you would find is we've got, we know we're going to get an extra 2 billion of people on the planet in the next, uh, you know, 35 years. 2050, there should be 9 billion about, and maybe a little bit more. Um, so we're going to have to, confine, we have to produce a lot more food. Now, we know that due to trophic levels, um, feeding people at a lower trophic level is always more efficient than, than feeding people up the food chain. Therefore, if you eat a, a vegetable, it's more efficient than eating a cow because the cow's got to eat the grass to digest it, and obviously it's running around. It doesn't, doesn't transfer the energy from the grass 100% efficiently into its own meat or nowhere near it. Therefore, you, you're going to you need a lot less land. Therefore, what you'll be effectively doing is you'll be converting some um, livestock land into growing crops, which will then help feed um, the extra two billion people who are about to join us on this planet in, in our lifetimes. I mean, even in my lifetime, it's going to do it. So you, you, and at the same time, you'll be able to reforest quite large areas of the planet um, because you won't, you won't need as much land to feed everybody. So, okay. I mean... No, sorry, it, it, did I cut you off there? <laughs> no, no, it's all right. No, I mean, there's a lot of upside. Now, will there be some farmers put out of business? Uh, probably. Uh, I, I don't. I actually think it's unlikely it's going to happen because I think, I think you'd all... say anyway that it sounds to me like the benefits outweigh any negatives. So let's move on because I, I I know we're short on time and I really want to talk to you about your fascinating life because people must talk to you a lot about your great great granddad, uh, but you've. You've done some fascinating things. So let me get this right. You've done, or you've completed successfully two world first expeditions. The first round Britain windsurf expedition. Am I right here? Yeah, I was a photographer on that. I wasn't the windsurfer. I went well, on the, went I around the, around the country, didn't you? Yeah, and you held the world's highest dinner party. Well, they are, Gemma, you'd have been a good candidate for that, I think. I think you'd have enjoyed that. That was great fun. The wine did freeze, which was a disaster. The wine froze. So where, yeah. hang on, where did, you, where did you hold the world's highest dinner party? Yeah, Mount Waskaran in, in Peru. Peru, yeah. okay. Um, and who were your guests? Yeah, yeah, so we had a great group of people. I mean, we, we climbed, actually, it was amazing. We went there, this was a long time ago. This was uh, 89, I think it was. And, and at the time, Peru, there were not many people climbing in Peru. So we climbed up this mountain and we didn't see anybody on, on the whole way up the mountain. We didn't, and, and, and we, so we set up our dining table on the, on the summit and, and uh, you know, got out our ball dresses and top hat and tails. We didn't know that two brothers were climbing up the other side of the mountain and they hadn't seen anybody else on their seven day ascent. And I'll never forget the expression on their face when their heads popped up and they saw us on the summit with our t dining room table and chairs. They just couldn't believe uh, the whole thing. So, uh, so it was an amazing experience. And and who were the guests? Oh, look, it was it was like it was like you and me meeting uh, in a pub and saying, "Let's do this." And then we get a few of our friends together, and off we go. And it was very, uh, it was what, very. What did we? What was on the menu? <laughs> do you remember? Uh, well, I do remember. Yeah, because we. Well, this was a long time ago. We actually brought a, a, a smoked trout from Australia, but by the time we actually got it to the top of the mountain, it was six weeks old, so no one quite had the courage to eat it. So <laughs> <laughs> that was, it, was, uh, it was quite a funny thing. 
So, uh, yes, yeah, so, but we had to eat, for the Ginsburg records, we had to eat something. So I think we had some, some potatoes and, you know. I and and how many of your guests got hypothermia during dessert? Yeah, yeah, I got, to, I got hypothermia, Neil did. And it's, uh, it's amazing when you get hypothermia. You, you sort of slip off. I know I saw a photograph of you in the snow, so you're obviously, you know, you understand the cold. If you ever get hypothermia, it's, it's an extraordinary experience. You basically, you become a little bit of euphoric. And, and nothing seems to be a problem. And I was just sat in the snow and I couldn't walk. So to get on the mountain, I had to sit, on, sit, sit down and pull myself down the mountain. Uh, because, and there were people shaking me, saying, Chris, you've got to hypothermia. You've got to get going. You're going to die if you don't do something. And you go, no worry. It's all fine. I'm going to be fine. You just get into this sort of uh, rather, you know, euphoric state. Yeah. It's extraordinary. I am... Um... I'm a, a presenter over here and I filmed one episode of my show on top of a volcano in Iceland. And uh -huh. um, I was, we, I mean, we had to wear like these kind of NASA spacesuits over the top of our ski jackets and thermals and every layer you could imagine. I don't think I could have worn any more layers, but while I was up there, I remember I just lost all feeling in my fingers. I've got bad circulation as it is, but up there, can, and and then you can't operate you can't do what you need to be doing because I just couldn't move my fingers and I remember this mountain guide just like he he looked a little bit concerned and was taking my hands trying to warm them up but similarly to you I, I was just like oh sure it'll be fine yeah and then occasionally I think oh my god what if I need to go to hospital oh no no no, I'll be fine but I mean yeah. I wasn't having a dinner party and I wasn't breaking any uh, Guinness World Records so congratulations for for doing that but what made you want to do it though it just seems very random. Yeah, it was pretty random, wasn't it? Oh, look, I mean, uh, what made me do it? I don't know. You know, it, it was literally like you and I meet in a pub and, and, and we're going, let's do something ridiculous. It was a visual joke. I worked in advertising and, and, and so I, I, you know, I just, I, I seem to just have a mind that just, just thinks up things. And why not? And, um, and one thing we need to talk about that we haven't yet, you have an app an app to help people realize their effect of not eating meat a day a week. Now, what's the app called and where can people get it and what will they learn from the app? Oh, thank you. Thank you, Gemma. So the app's called the Darwin Challenge. It's available on the App Store and it basically outlines the benefits. It's a motivational tracking app. So you put in, you tap, you've had a meat-free day. So let's say you have a meat-free day. And what it does is it shows you the benefits on 10, 10 metrics. How much longer are you going to live? You should live about 45 minutes longer per meat-free day. Um, you will save a little bit of money, about, a, about, you know, about, about nearly a pound. Um, you're going to save a little bit of a chicken. You're going to save a little bit of a cow. You're going to save a little bit of a fish. Well, actually, a fish, a fish or a prawn per day. And then it shows you the greenhouse gases and the, the, all the other ones. So it's just a little – I mean, we, we, we did our research, and we realized that people – when they're reducing their meat consumption, they need lots of motivation. And so the motivation seemed to be a really lovely thing to do is to show them how they're not only making their own lives better, but actually their world better as well. So the app's called the Darwin Challenge. The Darwin Challenge. Okay. And where can people follow your work and hear more about you? Because you've raised over $1.3 million for charity because you're the ambassador of Bush Heritage Australia. Is that correct? You've done really good research. Oh, I love you? researching my guests. Uh, they're yeah, always they're, fascinating. <laughs> yeah, look, I mean, uh, so we've got, a, we got, a, we got a, a website called the darwinchallenge.org. 
um, so that we, we got some social media on there and, and, and that's where we, we do use the app. Um, I'm also, uh, as you mentioned, an ambassador of a charity called Bush Heritage and, and uh, we have a, you know, a million hectares of Australia um, and uh, hence the kangaroo. So I've, I've, I've um, doing lots of interesting things. So, but, but I appreciate your research. And may I say, actually, I've got an idea for a podcast for you. Oh, yeah. Why don't you do a podcast on yourself? On me? I'll be introduced to you uh, happy to interview you because i think you've actually got i mean you've got a whole story yourself i've done some research on you too you nut allergy oh yeah you, you nearly died yes. from an allergy yeah gosh you actually you had a full anaphylactic shock have you mm, yeah yeah wow. that's, a, that's always been a scary issue for me my whole life because uh i've had this lifelong nut allergy and it is it is potentially fatal and sometimes you go to places and they say no there are no nuts in this and then oh there were and then you nearly die which is quite scary but this isn't about me this isn't about me but i well, i have got yo oh, sorry what were we going to say well i was saying that actually i think it could be about you because you could actually condense all this knowledge you're 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 getting in and, and it could be really interesting but anyway that was just an idea you know so often people the people behind the cameras are actually often more interested in the ones in front of the cameras. But you're oh, in front. And I don't know about stuff. that, but um, I could always do an episode and just ramble about me. But I quite like the interaction. It's always so enjoyable to speak to other people and hear about, I mean, everything we've been talking about today is so interesting. And I have one last question, which has nothing to do with health hackers or the environment. But I wanted, um, what was it that made you move to Australia? Because you are British. Yeah, I wonder sure. why you've been there. Oh look! I think I used to used to go to see the latest James Bond film at Leicester Square in London, and and you'd see beautiful beaches, and 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 uh, and when I, you know, and and you go, where is that? Where are those places? And and uh, so I went to Australia. I went to work originally to work in Australia, and then just liked it. And I mean, but London's lovely as well. So so I actually really miss London. We miss all the characters in London. London's full of great characters. So uh, are you based in London? I am. I now I'm just just outside of London, but I've I've actually lived in and around London my entire life. So right, I know what you mean about those characters. Yeah, it's great. It's a great city. I, I I come back regularly, and I don't fly, so I come on a container ship, Gemma. I uh, give up flying yeah. because you're doing that for environmental reasons. Yeah. Do you think an environmental? Do you think someone could call themselves an environmentalist if they still eat meat? <laughs> Look, I, I think what I think the definition of environmentalist is is to work out your ecological footprint, which is the the sum total of your entire impact on the planet. And if you are above one planet, you're not an environmentalist. And if you are below one planet, you are. And so when I started measuring it, which I did about seven years ago, I was 5.7 planets because I just used to jump on an airplane all the time, just just didn't think about it. And I've slowly gone from 5.7. Down, and for the last three years, I've been below one planet, and uh, and it's you know apart from flying, which I have which I have given up, I haven't given up anything else apart from flying, and, and I do occasionally have meat, I do still occasionally have meat. Yeah. That's really interesting. So you're not actually a vegetarian? No, I'm not actually a vegetarian. You're a flexitarian. Yeah, I'm a flexitarian. I haven't eaten meat. Uh, my last meat was the 30th of April this year. Um, and the most of the meat I eat is uh, meat which the kids, our kids, we try not to impose, you know, our eccentricities on our kids. So we, we try and keep them because I'm, as you probably worked out, I'm a pretty different sort of cat. And I don't want my kids to, to nearly to be as, as sort of eccentric to me, really. 
So we, we give them meat, and I t when they throw away meat, I sometimes eat it because I, I hate seeing food going to waste. And there's a whole podcast for you, food waste. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe that's um, not healthy. Yeah. Chris, you've been a fantastic guest. Thank you so much for coming on Health Hackers. I wish we could have quadrupled the time we spend on this podcast because there's so much more to talk to you about. Um, good luck with World Meat Free Week and the app and all your charity work because I have so much admiration and respect for what you're doing. It's wonderful and really great okay. to talk to you. Thank you so well, much. Bye-bye. And everybody else. Cheers. And I should say, podcast listeners, if you enjoyed listening to this episode, please subscribe to Health Hackers and then you can get notified every time I get a new guest and a new episode. And leave me a nice review if you've got nice things to say. That would be wonderful because it means so much. Thank you. Bye-bye.